I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. We're going to continue what we started last week. One of those messages that give pastors gray hairs. And we're getting into the gray hair part today. We're going to start with verse 9. Second, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, men, I realized last week I told the women that if they needed the rest, they could just tune me out and, and have the rest last week. I'm not extending that privilege to the men today. <laughs> Uh, I, I, there, there's a message in this, not just for women in the church. There, there's a message that you need to hear as the men of the church uh, as well. Also, uh, last week and throughout this week, the ladies were very gracious. Now, remember, I, I said I didn't want, if they listened, I didn't want them going home and saying, Pastor Dan said you have to do this. I didn't hear of a single lady that did that. So, men, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If, if God wants to speak to your wife's heart through this passage, I don't want to see you nudging her this morning and telling her she better listen to this part. <laughs> uh, you, you leave that up to the Holy Spirit today. But as I said, this is a controversial passage. It does give pastors gray hairs. The first time I taught through First Timothy, I lost a family from the church. I preached what I thought the Word of God was saying. The next morning, I got a very irate phone call. This lady wanted to talk to me, and the end result of that conversation was, Pastor, if you're going to preach that, I'm going to leave the church. And at that point in time, uh, we had rehashed the message and the, the passage of Scripture and so forth, and I said, well, do you have a responsibility to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And she said, no. At that point, I realized we weren't going to get anywhere. And, and so I turned to her husband. And I said, what about you? And he said, well, she's my wife. If she leaves, I have to go too. And so I said, goodbye. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you have blessed subtractions from, from a church. And, and I think that was one of them. They have since then gone to several churches and created problems in, in all of them. So uh, the, the Lord knows what he's doing in that. Uh, when you look at this passage, you might ask, why bother? If it's going to get gray hairs, why don't you just skip it and go into chapter 3? Well, the fact of the matter is, what we are dealing with here is the Word of God. God gave it to us. I, I like the attitude of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 as he met with the elders from Ephesus for the last time. Knew he was going to Jerusalem, knew he was going to be imprisoned, probably would lose his life for the, the testimony of Jesus Christ there, he said, I didn't hesitate to preach the full counsel of God. And so this is part of that full counsel of God. We, we need to wrestle with what is going on here. 
I'm going to approach it very carefully this morning. The Evangelical Free Church takes what is known as the complementary view of, of this passage. That is spelled with an E, not an I, in, in that word complement. I'll, I'll get to that before we're finished here. But uh, it, it, he's not suggesting that the men need to be complimented all the time <laughs> with, with the I, but, but they do need the E part there. And we'll... we'll, we'll if you're not into English, uh, uh, and I believe if my wife put that up on the screen, I, I spelled it wrong in my notes. <laughs> she put it up there right. Okay, great. <laughs> I was worried about that this morning when I was re- reviewing my notes. I, you know, I, that, that's a misspelling there. And uh, uh, English isn't my greatest area there. I, I want to approach this very carefully because there are two extremes in this passage, or that come out of this passage. The first one is what I call the male domination theory, where the husband says, I'm the boss, you have to do what I say, uh, I'm in charge here, uh, you, you exist to serve me in a sense, that, that get that out of this passage and out of Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, wives be submissive to your husbands. What they miss in that passage is that in Ephesians 5, the responsibility is not so much on the wife as it is on the husband there. He said, husbands, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I want you to be a servant to your wife. Not the boss, not not the dictator, but there's to be that servant leadership there. And and I know there are are groups out there today. We, We had a group and we called them the Beard and Bonnet group down in, in Grangeville when we lived there. They were not Mennonite. They, they did not fit into that, that, that group. But uh, they, they did practice the beards and the bonnets and so forth. And th- those men were very abusive to their husbands, uh, physically, emotionally. Uh, that is completely contrary to what Paul is saying in Scripture. Don't go that direction. The other one is the women's lib approach. Uh, that's where my friend years ago came from. She had grown up involved in the Women's Live movement. Her husband asked her to marry, or her fiancé asked her to marry. She said, I'll marry you, but I won't take your name. And it wasn't until he asked the third time, several months later, that she finally agreed to get married and take his name. Uh, she came out of that movement, accepted the Lord, but still held to the, the, the Women's Live approach. And... Uh, taught that there's no difference in Scripture. And we'll, you know, she went back to Galatians chapter 3 on that, where it says in, in the church there is neither bond nor free, neither uh, slave nor free, uh, neither Jew nor Gentile, man or woman, and so forth. But uh, the fact of the matter is, in Galatians chapter 3, he's dealing with our salvation. The foot is level at the foot of the cross, we all come to Christ the same way, whether we're slave or free, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're man or woman. We all come to Christ the same way. That doesn't minimize the fact that we have roles in society and so forth. Uh, just because a, a man came and accepted Christ as Savior didn't automatically say, you don't have to be a slave any longer. You know, he had to settle that with his master, not... Not with himself there. It, it wasn't an automatic change there. Uh, it, uh, they, they, many like to look at this as a cultural matter, not binding on us today. I think that's a very slippery slope. 
when we start saying we don't have to follow this scripture because it's cultural. Paul doesn't appeal to culture here. He goes back to creation for his, his teaching here. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, he says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's still on the bulletin board back there. If you missed it, you can, you can look at and, and get it there again. His basic principles do not change. And so God is not in the business of adapting his principles to our culture. He's in the business of transforming our culture to adapt to his value system. We, we, we need to make that distinction there as we look at a passage such as this. So the question we want to ask as we approach this passage is, what does God expect of women in the church? Now, I say that very carefully. I'm not saying what does God expect of women. I, I'm not ending it with that. What he expects of women in the home, what he expects of them in the business world is entirely different than what he is looking at in this particular passage. He is dealing with the church. If you go into chapter 3, verse 15, where he sums up this passage, he says, In case I am delayed, I write this to you so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. So this is the the basis on which he is writing here. Uh, Men, be careful that you don't extend that beyond what what God is saying here. Uh, It... uh, doesn't give you the right to be the boss at home. Uh, He has other passages that that deal with that. There's four thoughts that I want us to look at from the passage. The first one is God expects women to have modesty in verse 9. That's the first one there. This this is kind of, I I don't have an easy outline for you to memorize from this one. Uh, They don't all start the same. They're all going to be different, but... uh, I try to keep them real simple anyhow. So just one word on this one, modesty. The word modesty means decency or decently or it also can be translated avoid the extremes. That's the idea behind that. The same word is used, and we're getting to that season whether we like it or not, where we're going to trim a tree, adorn a tree. I suggested to somebody that this would make a nice Christmas tree. Uh, I, I think I've been outvoted on that. <laughs> that uh, that it, it's, it's not going to do for a Christmas tree. But uh, that we, we talk of trimming a tree, uh, of making it look, uh, well, for some of you, making it look beautiful. I, I, I don't see a lot of those ornaments and so forth, but that, that's okay. We, we can do that. Uh, but that's the word that he's using here. Uh, and I think too little or too much of decoration can be a bad thing. He said, I want you to do it in modesty. I I, I want you to be dressed modestly here. Uh, Some go to the extreme. Some groups, uh, we we had a friend years ago, right shortly after we were married, we visited uh, one of Ginger's friends, uh, had gone to Multnomah together. She was living back, I think it was in Indiana, where we visited her. And we were rather surprised when we got there. She was dressed entirely in black. And she had decided... The, the church that she was going to was teaching that women had to wear black. That, that's all they could wear. Uh, I had a problem with that. I, I, I told her, you know, you ought to look around. Look at the flowers. Look at the amazing colors that are out there that God created. Uh, look at the birds. Uh, surely we're more value to him than that. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know where she's at today. I, I, I don't know if she's still wearing black or 
or, or not. But I, I thought that's taking the scripture just a little bit too far there when it, when it talks about modesty there. Another lady that we knew back in uh, Ikalaka when we were pastoring there, she was approaching her 80th birthday. When she had accepted the Lord as her Savior, she was involved in a group that taught that women were not to wear fancy clothes, they were not to wear makeup, they were not to wear jewelry. And, and as she was getting ready for her 80th birthday party, her husband had, was home with the Lord by that time. Um, I, I remember her wistfully saying, I wish she, she was no longer in that that church group or, or that mindset, but she said, I wish they would have let me keep my wedding ring. She had given away all of her jewelry, and they said, you have to give away your wedding ring as well because women aren't supposed to wear jewelry. That That's going beyond what Scripture says here. Uh, if you're going to go to that extreme, you have a major problem because in First Peter chapter 3, verse 3 there, where a parallel passage to this, he lists... Uh, wearing dresses along with the jewelry and so forth. So if you're going to take away the jewelry, you're going to take away the dresses. And I'm not going there this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, that that is going a little bit too far. That's going beyond what the uh, Scripture says. I, I think when he says modestly here, it's like one person said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> it uh, uh, but but why, why does he make... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've got to. I've got to use. <laughs> I, I, I've got to use humor this morning, or uh, I, I'm going to be crucified. So <laughs> get, get get used to it here. As a matter of fact, that that original lady that I spoke to, uh, uh, I was worse on them than I, I'm going to be on you today. I, I in that area, I quoted from the book of Proverbs that you know you can clean up. Uh, a pig, and you can put a ribbon on them, and so forth, and, and you turn them loose, and what happens? They're still a pig. <laughs> and, and the rumor went, she spread the rumor around the town that Pastor was saying that women are pigs. <laughs> uh, totally missed what I, I was trying to say there. I'm not going to say that this morning. You didn't hear that. <laughs> but why does he say, I want you to dress modestly here? Have you ever noticed that the world has? a certain set of standards. You go into some of our offices, they expect their employees to dress a certain way. Why? Because they are representing that company. And so they expect a decent standard of dress. They, they, many of them will have a dress code that they have to live up to. And I think we need to recognize here that what he is saying is, in this world, we represent Jesus Christ. And we not, are not here to draw attention to ourselves in, in the wrong sense there. We're here to attract others to Jesus Christ. So he says, I want you to, to dress in such a way that the attention is not drawn to you. It's drawn to Jesus Christ. That's what is behind the command here to, to modesty in verse 9. The second area he looks at is verse 10. He said, I want you to adorn yourself with good works here. This is the adornment that he is looking for. Because true beauty, I believe, is more than an external matter. We, we can paint up the front. We, we, we can put on the jewelry. We can put on the clothes and, and attempt to look beautiful. But someone has wisely said, the woman that depends on the external soon runs out of ammunition. Look at that again. The woman that depends 
on the external soon runs out of ammunition. He is dealing here with the issues of the heart. And that's where true beauty begins. It's in the heart. No amount of jewelry or fancy clothes can make up for a critical spirit, a nagging wife, a uh, rebellious behavior or attitude. And it, you just can't do it. it it's a heart matter. It's a heart issue. And so he said, I want your beauty to come from the inside out. I want you to be a beautiful person in the heart there. Now, I'm going to do just a little bit of meddling with the ladies here this morning. I trust you'll forgive me and, and I'll, I'll survive this. But I want to ask you just to think through, ladies, this last week, just your time this week. Which was most important to you, the external or the internal? Which did you focus your time on? Where, where, where did you invest your, your efforts there? Where, where, were you attempting to, to put on an outward show? Or were you allowing God to make your heart beautiful? Were, were you allowing him to work in your heart and, and, and in your situation there? It, it, it's not an either-or situation. Uh, we, we, he couples the modesty with the, uh, the good works there. We, we need both. But which one is most important to us? Who we are or what image we present to the world around us? We, we are to concentrate on the, the internal, being what God wants us to be. The third area that he looks at is the area of teachableness. And again, I wasn't sure whether that's actually a word or not. Uh, uh, Jenny, you didn't correct me on that, so... Okay, all right. Uh, I, I, I honestly looked it up in the dictionary, and I couldn't find it. So I'm assuming it's not an official word, but it says what I want it to say. So I am making it an official word today. <laughs> from, from now on, this is a, a legitimate word, teachableness. Uh, the, uh, as you look at verse 11 there, he said, a woman must quietly receive instructions. And that's where I'm getting that, that teachableness from, that, uh, receiving instruction with submissiveness there. Now, I know some of your translations will put that silence. Uh, I, I, I don't think that's quite the intent of, of the word here. Uh, matter of fact, God doesn't ask the impossible of us. <laughs> Uh, he'll do the impossible through us, <laughs> but, but he doesn't ask us to do the impossible here. The, the, the word that he uses here, he, he also uses back in verse 2, where he said the men are to live a tranquil and quiet life there. So if you're going to translate one as silence, you've got to translate the other one as silence. And so men, if you're not prepared to live a silent life, then... Don't put that burden on the women either in the church. That's not what Scripture is implying at this point in time. The idea is live a peaceful life there. What is he saying in this? I think he's saying what 1 Corinthians 14.40 says. He said, I want in the church, I want all things to be done decently and in order. God has an order. We ignore that to our own confusion. And that's word submissive speaks of that, that order here. It's a military term. Uh, there's a rank in, in, the, in the military. Uh, wise is the one that learns that and, and follows that. And the same thing is true in the home. The same thing is true in the church. God has his, his order uh, and uh, 
The idea is that we work together to accomplish the plan and purpose of God. Now, that leads to the the fourth one where I I couldn't think of one single word for that, so you have to remember two of them there. That's respect authority coming out of verse 12. This is where the going gets tough. He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Uh, let, let's use the word quiet, quiet, not silence there. Uh, it doesn't, uh, and I, I want to be very careful on, on what he is saying and what he is not saying here. He does not say that women cannot teach, that women cannot counsel. As a matter of fact, elsewhere in Scripture, he encourages the older women to teach the younger women. They have that responsibility. He encourages the women to, to teach the children and have an impact on, on even in a home where the husband is, isn't a, a Christian. They have the, the responsibility of being a sanctifying influence to those children. So he, he is not restricting those gifts from, from the women here. He restricts the teaching in the church, though, I believe, to the men. And... Uh, We'll see more of that as we move into chapter 3 next week. Uh, You men thought you got off easy last week. All all you had to do was pray, uh, lift up holy hands in prayer. Uh, We're not done with the men. You come back to that next week as we move into chapter 3 there. He, He restricts that teaching ministry in the church to the women, or to the men. He said they're not, the women are not to usurp the authority of the men in the church. Now, uh, I ran across this when I was going to Multnomah, taking their master's program. One, one of the counseling courses that we took was taught by uh, the, the dean of women, Pam, Pamela Reeves. Uh, she's now home with the Lord, but uh, a very godly woman that had for years poured her life in, into the, the women that came through the school there. But she was teaching in the master's program. And I still remember the very first day of class she got up and she said, I want to make it very clear because obviously this was, I think, probably about 25 men in the class and maybe one or two women. She said, I want to make it very clear. I understand what Scripture says in that area. And I am teaching this course under the authority of the board of the school. They have given me this responsibility. I am answerable to them. And so she was respecting the authority that was over her. Years ago, Ginger and I did a marriage enrichment seminar together. And uh, I allowed her to teach part of it. I, I don't do that very often because she's a better teacher than I am. And, and I, I don't want people thinking, hey, we ought to have Ginger instead of Pastor Dan. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't want to lose my job on, on that. She, she, she can do a much better job than that. But, but she did so under my authority. It, it was my class. And uh, she, she was filling in in the areas that, that I, I wanted her to teach I, is what I gave to her there. Uh, why is this important? In the home, God has given the leadership to the men. Husbands are to be, what? The head of the home. And, and uh, in the church, men are given that responsibility, as we'll see in, in, in chapter 3 there. Now, the obvious question is, well, why? When the women perhaps can do it much better than the men. Why does God require this uh, uh, in Scripture there? And uh, I would suggest the answer to that awaits eternity. You're going to have to ask the Lord that. He's the one that set it up. Uh, in the military, you learn 
you just follow orders. You don't ask that question why very often. You just do what you're told because those higher up in authority have the answers and they have their reasons and they don't have to explain them to you. And God hasn't explained this to us. He just simply said, this is the way it is. And so um, Paul gives us two arguments here to support his his viewpoint here. Uh, First of all, he gives us the, uh, and uh, let me go back to what I said at the beginning, the complementary viewpoint. Do, do, you, do you have that up there yet? Did you, did you get it up there at all? Okay. Uh, that comes under the argument of creation. So if you put the argument of creation up, that's our next one. Eve was created to complement Adam. Spelled in the middle there with an E. Complete. Oh, you, yeah, compliment. Oh, she's got it right. Uh, now, the other compliment puts an I in there. Okay. Uh, she, she wasn't created to tell Adam how good a job he was doing and so forth. She, she was comp- created to compliment him. The word that he uses here with, when it's spelled with the vowel literally means to make complete. When God created Adam, you, if you recall, he looked around and it was the only time you have those words in all of the creation story. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. I will make a compliment for him. Not I'm going to give him a compliment with the I, but with the E there. In other words, there was something lacking in Adam that Eve had to fulfill. And it takes both the male and the female, I believe, to reveal the image of God. Both are made in the image of God. Both were made to to reveal the image of God. Both were given different roles in creation. God did not need a second Adam at that point in time. Adam was fully capable of doing his role, uh, of fulfilling what God was asking him to do. What he needed was someone to compliment, someone to complete him, someone that was suitable for him there. And so he made Eve. And he gave Adam and Eve different roles and different responsibilities to fulfill and to live out in this world. And that's where the Evangelical Free Church takes its stand on this. They use the complementary approach that God created man and women with different roles and expectations in, in mind. I realize we come from a variety of backgrounds here and, and some of you have come out of churches that have women in, in the position of pastor and so forth. Personally, I've, I've worked with some of those women. I have fellowshiped with some of them, but I don't believe they were in the place where God wanted them to be. That's my viewpoint on it. You, you, you can disagree with me afterwards all you want, but... Uh, You've got to explain away Paul's scripture then if, if you're going to take that approach. Uh, and that, that's kind of hard to do. Different roles, different responsibilities. The, he uses the argument of creation. He also uses the argument of the fall here. He takes us back again to the beginning part of creation. And he says, you know, it wasn't Adam that was deceived. It was the woman. Uh, what was going wrong there in the book of Genesis. If you take time to read the story in Genesis chapter 3, you will notice when Satan came and tempted Eve, the, the picture that we have and that we always have in our Sunday school pictures and so forth was Eve was there alone, the serpent comes along and tempts her and she falls. But that's not scriptural. 
if you read verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, And she gave to her husband who was with her. He was there. It was his responsibility. He had received the word of God. He had received the commandment before Eve was created not to eat of that tree. He sat there and said nothing. He ignored his responsibility and he passed that responsibility on to his wife. I think that's a critical part of the story that we often miss. No church will prosper where the men do not pray and the women usurp the position of the men. No church will prosper if, if we go that direction. Now, I had one lady when I taught this years ago. She came to me and said, you know what? If we wait for the men to do it, it's not going to get done. Uh, she was talking about different issues in the church. And I had to acknowledge that she had a valid point. Because men, let's face it, we tend to be a little bit lazy, don't we? If our wives are going to do it, let, let's let them do it. We, we have enough on our plate. We, we, don't, we can pass it off to them. But my advice to that lady was, maybe it was time for you to take your hands off and let God convict the men. Let God put that responsibility on their hearts. Uh, you, you've tried your nagging. You've tried pushing the men. You, you, you've tried all different ways. Why don't you just turn it over to the Lord and let the Lord deal with it? Because uh, he has a way of getting a hold of the hearts of men if, if they are at all responsive to him there. Uh, usurping the position of the men may get the job done from our human perspective, but it doesn't get the job done from God's perspective. We, we, we need to be very careful and very clear on that today. Adam missed the boat. He had the opportunity to speak up and say, wait a minute, Eve, God said don't do this. And he said nothing. And we've suffered the consequences ever since. And so this becomes an, an important area here. The, the ladies love to usurp that authority if they're given the chance. But God says, don't do it. Take your hands off. Let me be God. Now he closes with a, a verse, one of those verses that I'm not sure I fully understand. Verse 15. There are a couple of thoughts come out of verse 15. I'm just going to give you my suggestions on that. And you can wrestle with it. You can come to whatever conclusions you want on, on that. And, and if you get the final conclusion on it, come and tell me so that I, I, I can do that next time here. Uh, he says, women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Two teachings come out of this. Number one, while the God has given man the position of leadership, it was actually the women's woman's privilege to bring the Christ child into the world. Think of that for just a minute. We, we, the men were given that role of leaders in the home and in the church and so forth. But what a tremendous privilege that was for Mary to be the mother of Jesus Christ. What, uh, God blessed them. God honored them. This, this was part of the, the, the role that God had for women was to bring the Christ child into the world. The, the only problem I have with that is that he goes on, he extends that to the other women if they continue in faith and love and so forth there. So what, what is he saying in that? I, I think, and this is what I conclusion I've come to on this, is that godly women will find their fulfillment in God's role for them. Whether it's having children or, or whether it's uh, 
working under the authority of, of the men in the church, whatever it may be. If they cooperate with God in the role that God has for them, they will be blessed in the process. They will experience a blessing. If they step out of that role, then they are going to have trouble and so forth. And I think one of the reasons God has designed it that way is because, really, what we are involved in today is a spiritual battle. And God gave that responsibility to the men to be the warriors, in a sense, to, to enter into that spiritual battle. And sometimes we put the women in that position to their detriment. Men, we need to take our role seriously as head of the home, head of the church, as those that provide the spiritual leadership and so forth. Don't pass that responsibility off to your wife. That's not their role. You take that leadership. You, you be the one that, that God uses in, in that particular area of, of life there. As, as we look at chapter 2 here, and I'm going to close it off with just a couple of questions here. I'm summing up the whole chapter in this conclusion, not just what God is saying to the women here, because I know, men, you've been resisting that temptation to, to nudge your wife, and I commend you for that. But... Uh, well, the question I want to ask as a man or as a woman, are you fulfilling your God-given role? Are you doing what Christ has asked of you? Are you being the man or the woman that, that God asked you to, to be? Are you living out that role in your home, in the church, to the glory of God in our community here as well? Men, that involves a ministry of prayer. Are you prayer warriors? Do you take the time and intercede for your family, for your church, for your community, for, uh, as Pat was sharing earlier, for the refugees? Do we really enter into a prayer ministry for the world in which we find ourselves? Man, we've got to wrestle with that question because so often we say, well... Let the women do it. They have the time. We're too busy with our activities. No, it's our responsibility. Are we fulfilling the role that God has given us in that area? Now, we'll come back to the men next week and find out you've got more to do than just pray. There's more involved in it. But for this week, how did you do in the area of prayer this week, man? And then, ladies, as you evaluate your role, you've got four points to look at here this morning. How are you doing in those four areas? Uh, are, are you being a positive example of Jesus Christ to the society in which he has placed you? Are you living out that modesty, those good works? Are you teachable and so forth? Or have you fallen into the trap of usurping some of the authority that belongs to the men? That's so easy to do. Like my friend back in... in uh, she said, well, if we wait for the men to do it, it won't get done. Well, then if it doesn't get done, that's not your responsibility. That's God's. Uh, are, are you willing to turn those situations over to the Lord and, and allow him to be God in, in the lives of the men in the, in the church there? Now, this, this is a serious matter because we're approaching in just a moment the Lord's table here. And we need to remember as we approach the Lord's table that this is not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. He goes on, and we get down to verse 15 of the next chapter. It is the household of who? Of God. He's the one 
that has the final say. It's not culture. It's not the customs of the day. It goes back to what does God have to say about his church? And so as we think about that and we approach the Lord's table, you know, he encourages us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to do what? Examine ourselves. Don't look at your partner. Don't look at the person sitting next to you. You have to examine your own heart. Are, are you living out these principles? Are, are, are you being the man or the woman that God has asked you to be? And if not, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I need your forgiveness. Uh, I, I need your cleansing. Uh, uh, and from this mo- point on, I want to follow your word. Or are you going to go about, as my friend back in Ekalaka did, your own stubborn way? And say, well, if that's teaching it then I'm not going to come anymore. It's your choice. You, you have to live with the consequences of that choice. But he says, I do want you to examine your heart. Is it right with God in the household of God? Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you that you care enough to give us your word. We don't always understand it. and We don't always understand the why of it. But you've made it clear. And so I pray that you would give us the courage of conviction to say, I'm going to do what you say to do. Lord, help us to be willing to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With that in mind, we're going to sing 161. Breathe on me, breath of God.
The Apostle Paul gave us these words, I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. As we come to the Lord's table, the uh, representation of what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're visiting with us, we invite you to partake with us. This is his table. And he has made that invitation clear to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us and are not used to our way of doing things, we ask that when the cup or the bread and then the cup is served, that you hold it till everyone has been served and we'll partake of it together there. But uh, you're certainly welcome to join us if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the men to come forward at this time. I'm not sure that they were appointed. How they were. Okay, good. We read that Lord Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks. Jim, would you return thanks for the bread? Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you've done for us. God, for you sending your son to die for us. We just can't thank you enough. We just ask you to examine our hearts and tell us what's going on right this evening.
Teach you all of it. The same way also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Larry, would you return thanks for the cup?
drinky all of it. We're going to end by singing the wonder of it all. I trust you meditate on that thought as you go through this week. Just think, God loved you.